Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Garskaden coming to you live from North Carolina. And today we want to look at Exodus 15 in the journey of the Israelites coming out of Egypt in a position that they were in dire need of water to survive. And yet God dealt with an eternal cleansing, their murmuring in that situation. And we, we today want to look at that situation um, for ourselves, for this nation, and more specifically for the church in this hunger that really the entire church, not only in America, but around the world, is crying out for a revival right now. And dealing with some of the issues we've continued to follow this week as they've, they've continued to highlight some things. And some news came out yesterday that I think really gives a separator on the student loan information um, and why it's disastrous. And, and we'll get into that. And I'll, I think I can give an interesting perspective as I'm in a particular situation. But first, we want to start in scripture in Exodus 15. And the beginning of Exodus 15 starts off with uh, the song of Moses and Israel, where they're praising the Lord, saying, well, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Uh, the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength. And, and I wanted to read that verse, two verses there, because it just talks about, okay, they're, they're excited, they're happy, they're praising the Lord for being their protector as they've come out of Egypt. Um, and then... Once it gets through this whole story, I mean, they're dancing, um, singing, having a great time, um, really just celebrating the Lord for what he has done. Um, in verse 20, it talks about how Miriam the, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went around after her with timbrels and with dancing and, and just singing the song to the Lord. And so they're happy. And then it shifts. In verse 22, um, where it talks about how the Lord provides water. And then we see through here, you know, they're they're grumbling um, in verse 24. So the people grumbled at Moses saying that, what shall we drink? Uh, then obviously Moses cried out to the Lord. And uh, in verse 26, I want to read it from the Amplified because Amplified gives a better, um, it, just, it just gives a better understanding I believe for this scripture. And so we see here at the end of verse 25, he says there, the Lord made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. Remember yesterday we talked about sometimes the Lord tests us to enlarge our faith. And right here, it says this, it says saying in verse 26, if you will diligently listen and pay attention to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight and listen to his commandments and keep foremost in your thoughts and actively obey all his precepts and statutes, then I will not put on you any of the diseases which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. 
And um, let me go back to verse 24. I missed this. It, it says, then the people grew dis discontented and grumbled at Moses, saying, what are we going to drink? They cried out to the Lord for help. And obviously, then Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And, and that's the point here. They grew. The people grew contented and grumbled at Moses. And then the Lord says, look, if you obey my commandments, um, you follow my statutes, I won't do what I did to the Egyptians with the plagues that's coming out of Egypt. And Chuck points out here through this, this is um, the, the different names of the Lord in this situation would be Jehovah Rapha or uh, Jehovah Ra The Greek, I believe, a Hebrew is Jehovah Rafika. I'm probably butchering that in all of its uh, mysterious glory, <laughs> but but that's the the name there. And and he points out, Chuck does this, is ask the Lord um, to have you experience Him as Jehovah Rapha. Confess any murmuring and complaining as sin. Basically, repent um, and as sin, as it is a violation of trust with the Lord. As you see here, the Israelites were complaining. They didn't really have the faith to believe that the Lord could provide for them in that season and in that place of bitterness that they were at. But then because of the waters were bitter, they weren't able to drink him. And ultimately, the, through seeking the Lord, he provided a way and a source of life for them, of healing. And then ultimately, ask the Lord to cleanse your spirit, soul, and remove any effects of your body from your murmuring, and you're complaining just like the Israelites. Um, so it's really a humbling experience here as we continue to grow in and, and deal with uh, the issues that might be preventing us from entering the throne room and restoring the covenant blessing that the Lord has for us in this season um, and in the days ahead as we grow closer towards um building a deeper relationship with the Lord and, and hunger and for revival through the Lord as well in today. Now, with that being said, is there are not just dealing with murmuring and complaining. Obviously, the Lord Jehovah Rapha can be a healer, and there's some examples um, throughout Old and New Testament. Um, somebody put a, put a scripture Sharon did from Georgia Psalms 2714. Um, you go through Psalms 41, 3, where he deals with sickness and infirmity, uh, Jonah 2, 5 through 7, healing from mental affliction, uh, Psalms 22, 3, spiritual fatigue, emotional suffering, anxiety, other examples, um, both in the old and new testament. So through this character, uh, this different name of the Lord, we see what the Lord can do through relationship with him and honoring those covenants and, and statutes that he sets before us of what he can do uh, of protecting us. And, and you wonder why, you know, some people have this disease or don't have this disease. And and the Lord's laying out clearly, of, look, we have this relationship. We're being obedient to him. He'll protect us. And that's what could bring about that revival uh, in the days ahead. Now, with that understanding of dealing with our murmuring and complaining, <laughs> which we all have at some point in time in our life, we want to uh, have that understanding, but be focused and aware about what's going on in the news. And remember yesterday and earlier this week, we're really paying attention to the discussions and the narrative around the Iran nuclear deal. And the reason it's important is because currently 
U.S. and Iranian officials are headed to Vienna for a 10th round of talks to possibly get back into the Iran nuclear deal, which we've seen the disastrous um, effects, potential effects of that if we get back into the deal with them, of giving them literally $1 trillion at this, the stage of negotiations that it's at right now. And ultimately, Israel believes that this is just a pause um, a delay to hopefully get them to the point where they have developed nuclear weapons is what Iran's wanting to do of have it, uh, hopefully somehow get some money out of this and then take that money and support terrorist operations around the Middle East and around the world possibly. Uh, we really don't know because we really don't know the full tentacles of how far they reach. Just in the Middle East, it's very well known because Israel is staying on top of it. But what about in South America? What about in, in, in other places? What about in America? Our open borders. This is this is why it's a problem for nations to have open borders is because you can't track, you can't know these things. And it's about the sovereignty and security of its people. Um, and one thing to note is that U.S. envoy with uh, Rob Mal Malley, the man who caused three other negotiators to quit because of how disastrous he is, um, and Iranian negotiator Ali Bagari Khani um, are set to go. Yesterday to Vienna to start talking and today to re hopefully, quote unquote, reach a final deal. The EU is saying wisely so that this is the last round of negotiations. Will they stick to it? Possibly not. Um, and those demands that we read the other day about how Iran wants the Biden administration to make a deal – based around the premise that no other president can get out of this deal and that um, Western countries will – basically that the Biden administration will make a deal for Western companies to start having businesses and investments into the Iranian um, economy, which you can't force investors or make that opinion. And, and most legal analysts know that, and I think Iran's smart enough to understand that, and most legal analysts and CIA analysts know that. Uh, so want to be fully aware of that and want to um, continue to pray. And what's interesting about this is both former Obama officials, intelligence officials, Trump officials um, are really pointing out the fact that these talks are very, very disastrous. And that's important because it becomes an issue now that you can build a relationship with somebody. Uh, look. Why is the Biden administration doing this? And and at the higher up levels, it, this is good for future discussions down the road, maybe on a topic they don't disagree on. Okay, hey, he's not all that bad as far as he's not totally insane, which what both the far right and far left are thinking of everybody. Um, of we they're insane, we can't talk to them. Is okay, we agree with him on this, so let's come to them on this. Maybe he's reasonable, maybe we can get to some conclusion on this. So this is good for the future, but we still want to pray um, and repent for the Biden administration's stance to divide Israel as they continue to push for that, um, the person being involved in these discussions from the U.S. side. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for them to have the wisdom and the fear of the Lord to protect themselves, and then ultimately intercede that the Biden administration and military leaders have the fear of the Lord when making decisions on Israel and Iran. Um, because you have this person, Rob Malloy, being the person who is the negotiator at the table, but it still has to go up a chain of command of what is going to happen. He may go and have his um, predetermined 
set of goals that he's trying to reach, but there still has to be sign off from a host of people. And we just want to pray for those, somebody to be involved who has fear of wisdom of the Lord to speak out, say something um, that might quash this deal as it is shown to be utterly disastrous. And we've been following it all along. Okay, moving on to the student loan crisis issue, forgiveness, whatever. However you want to describe it. Now it has come out, and we talked about how yesterday the Biden administration is going forward with it. If you're going to do that, then if you're going to cut your revenue, think about it from a business standpoint. If you're going to cut your revenue intentionally, then you need to cut your costs at the same time, and you need to deal with why your costs are growing so high. Problem is they're not doing it. There are some candidates who are like proposing that that be an option and saying, well, we don't need to do this now as a short-term basically a Band-Aid, and understand that five years down the road, we're going to have to do this again because the issue the issue at the end of the day is the biggest problem is the fact that the government hands out money for any degree just because somebody want, thinks that they want to go to college. Most, most people don't. When I was in college, uh, freshman year, we took a course uh, based introductory to college, how to study, how to manage time management, all this stuff. It's the biggest waste of biggest waste of time in my life. I ended up not going to class half the time anyways. And it was a pass or fail class. It was, it was stupid. But one of the earliest classes, they said that it was a huge class. And I went to a smaller university. And they, it was about 50 people. And they said, look around the room. About 50 of you will not be here in two years. And another 50% of you will not even make it to the third year. And some of you may graduate, some of you may not. So in that room, probably 10 to 15 people would actually graduate. Now, those 50 people took out some of them, and this is not a, a high-cost university, but think about higher-cost universities. They take out loans, and, and this, is, this is the question that needs to be dealt with, is, is people need to understand the perspective of why you go to college to get a degree that would give you skills to be able to make you – find a job, allow you the possibility of finding a job that could pay and cover if you did take out student loans or give you a lifestyle that or income based upon the skills that you gain to be beneficial. Most states in the country have colleges and they don't do that. Um, and so the issue here is, is um, number one, does Biden have the authority to do it? And what came out yesterday because of a memo from the Department of Education basically saying that the Biden administration is using the HEROES Act uh, because of the economic crisis that we have with COVID. Um, Nancy Pelosi has said that herself, the administration has no legal authority because that authority from the founding fathers was given to Congress. And in reality, people understand, I think we're aware, we talked about it yesterday, this is just to pull the wool over the eyes of voters who he's trying to get to vote for him. Um, and the reality is, is there even Obama economists who are coming out saying that this is a horrible situation? And they themselves don't like the fact that uh, this is a push for giving unilateral power to the president tyranny right before our very eyes. This is an Obama, Jason Furman, an Obama. Advisor, if an Obama advisor is saying this, you know it is problematic. And this is where I say this is where it could possibly unify those 
who might been traditionally Democrat and Republican with those who are um, conservative, Republican, and somewhat unify the country. And look, both sides have disagreement on this. They, they're standing in solidarity and that this is a problem, shouldn't happen. But the question is, is there's no discussion about what the solution should be. Um, obviously not spending would be great. You have Larry Summers uh, coming out, uh, Lawrence Summers coming out, basically saying the same thing. We need to look at what this is really doing. And then there's um, an analysis from uh, Mark Messer, who's actually running for state senate in, in, as a Republican in California, who's a lawyer, who went through this and talked about how um, – how it's agreed that you know the cost of education is outpaced inflation, and what's very interesting is that that was one of the opening lines from the fact sheet that the administration put out. Let me blow this up because I want to read this paragraph. This is absolutely just uh, dumbfounded that they would say this and, and then push this out. They said since 1980, the cost of both four-year public and four-year private college has nearly tripled, even after accounting for inflation. Federal support has not kept up. Why should federal support keep up? Is that the true cost of education? Are you paying for degrees that can cover this in the first place? This expense? No, you can't because they don't. Um, and then ultimately Pell Grants uh, once covered uh, nearly 80% of the cost of a four-year public college degree for students from working families, but now they only cover a third. So from 80% to to 30%, that's a 50% decrease in the coverage that Pell Grants cost or cover. And, and then he goes on to say this. this is, that has many left many students from low- and middle-income families with no choice but to borrow if they have to get a degree. They don't have to borrow. They, don't, they can find another. There's plenty of colleges out there that are low-cost that give you just as, as good of a degree um, and skills as these higher-cost colleges. Like there, There's alternatives that people can – you're not forced. You don't have to make these decisions. And you guys are probably some of the people who know um, people and have made those decisions. And ultimately, according to the Department of Education Analysis, the typical undergraduate student with loans now graduates with nearly $25,000 in debt. Why is that? Okay, we're looking at uh, the cost to the student. Why don't we look and audit some of these universities and say, what are the costs to these universities? What are the expenses of the universities? What are the salaries of these bureaucracies that they've become administrators? What about with dealing how they handle certain money of you either spend it or you lose it each year type stuff um, that goes on within these university systems that is not being dealt with? I've I've literally worked in these environments. I know the environment that it's like. I've, I've as a student, I was involved in student organizations, and that's the mindset. You better spend it, otherwise next year you won't have it. If you actually need something, that is dumbfounded. A a private business would never even consider that as a possibility. Well, we don't know what the future holds. We're not going to hold this money back and invest it possibly and save it for when we actually need it, but we're just going to go ahead and spend it because we want to. That's dumbfounding. Um, and obviously some of them consider themselves not for profit when they are for profit, but I digress on that, that issue. And then he goes on. The analysis from this uh, Mark Messer talks about the constitutionality on this. 
The U.S. Constitution does not give spending power to the president. Article 1, Section 7 reserves this power for Congress, the power of the purse. And he goes on to say this. He says, in reading the fact sheet put out by the White House, I could not find one word that even attempted to explain how the president had the authority to forgive these student loans. I have studied this issue, and I cannot find anyone who can show me any provision in the statute that gives the president this authority. Then, later, after people were asking, well, where does the president get this authority come from? The um, general counsel for the Department of Education published a memorandum opinion revealing how they think the president justified to make this loan transfer. And that's really what it is. Is it's And this is the problem. Everybody is pointing this out. Right, left, purple, blue, no matter what your political affiliation is, is they are pointing this out. And yes, Ms. Sharon, that is a great – it is a complete overreach exposed. Um, and the benefit of this is that People are realizing now, not just those who are tuned into politics, those who are praying, paying very close attention to this, is they're seeing what the Biden administration has done, not only on this issue, but other issues of they know it's unconstitutional, they're going to do it anyways, and they're going to wait for it to play out in the court systems, and oh well. Now, I take a step back as if you know someone who has student loans – friends, family, kids, grandkids, whatever the case may be. One thing to advise them on is to say, hey, wait. If you have – like if they're thinking about you know, doing something with some money that they have or making future plans, have them understand the reality of, look, if you get 20000 or 10000 removed, supposedly removed right now, you have to, you're going to have to wait at least most likely two, maybe three years before this all plays out in the court system. And so right now they have this false sense of reality, and they could have this false sense of reality and this false sense of hope of, oh, yay, I'm going to get $10,000 or $20,000 um, just wiped off of my plate. The reality is, is as it's unconstitutional, as these facts are playing itself out, the Biden administration is going to force someone to challenge them in the court system. They're going to force this issue to go to the Supreme Court, and uh, Clay Travis points this out. He's like, look, this sets up the Democrats very wisely for the future of, okay, they're saying, oh, we want to do this. We want to help you guys out, but you know, the evil Supreme Court, these are people Trump supported. This is why we can't vote for him for 2024. They're, they're playing 4D chess that Trump's been playing for a while now. So they're starting to realize, okay, even though we know this is unconstitutional, if nobody challenges it and some, somebody rules incorrectly or rules in their favor, uh, great, we win. But if we lose, we win either way because now we can start attacking uh, people that Trump supported. And that's how it's going to play out somebody over the next two to three years. And I, I would quite agree with that analysis. But really pray for people who have these student loans who are banking on this and hoping that this comes. Oh, or banking for more because if you do this now on this step, what means that you can't do it again come 2024, come future presidential um, and political elections, midterms, whatever the case may be, to try to persuade voters with the power of the purse to come vote for you and to keep the things going. Remember Chris Reed's dream about how he saw protests in the streets from people being upset that the government didn't continue to give out handouts. This sets up that narrative if allowed to go forward. 
So we want to be wise, be aware, be sober of these issues uh, um, and praying for future leaders. And it is a complete exposure of the realities of, of what the Biden administration does, their tactics. Um, but hopefully people can really realize through this, people who have student loans that, look, they made these false promises. And at the end of the day, they have to realize that, like myself, I signed on the dotted line for this. As a grad student, I made that understanding, took those loans out, knowing that I was going to pay them back. I took that risk on myself, knowing that I was getting a skill that was going to benefit me in the long run. And because the Lord told me to, to, to take this degree. And that's not for everybody. That's not for every situation. It's really a, a individual choice there, but I had strong prophetic to do it. And, um, it has played out in more ways than one to be in alignment with what the Lord wanted me to do. But the reality is, is this is people are going to have to start understanding the basics of economics 101 of supply and demand with colleges and universities, the cost, the return on investment, et cetera. And what should be happening is an now, as I said before, an analysis and an audit on these universities should be coming out. And one of the best things uh, I want to point to is we've talked about it here before of what's happening out of Florida, where Florida has a database for prospective students and parents to look at to see, okay, if you go to this degree, here's a potential payout of what is being paid right now. So if you want to you know, make this investment or go towards this degree that gives you an actual skill that can provide a job that you want to go into, here's what they are as they're following it within the state of Florida, that would be a great system for each state to look at and possibly replicate um, to help students make these choices rather than gender studies or whatever um, they're, they're hitting it. And, and, and I, I point towards that because it's one of the easiest ones to do, but there's also uh, poli-sci majors, which is probably one of the most useless degrees on God's green earth. Um, don't even get me started on that. Um, journalism, et cetera. The list goes on and on that are just very, very, very dumbfounded. Um, but I digress. I move on and I want to close out on this story is so President Biden came out uh, yesterday when asked about, did he have any advanced knowledge on the raid on Mar-a-Lago? He said, no, zero, not a single bit. Possibly, maybe not. There are some, as we talked about before, like John Solomon, who think uh, the Biden administration, they knew about it. They planned it, blah, blah, blah. Where's the, I'm, I'm, I, I don't disagree that they wanted it to happen and possibly man, manipulated it and maneuvered it to happen. But they're saying there's like Watergate tapes where like, they're the ones who, who told him to go do it. And until there is evidence to prove otherwise is they're innocent until proven guilty. Um, and, and we have to realize this is that even the fact that we're discussing this, um, not only on this case, but there's also the story out from uh, Just the News and John Solomon that FBI whistleblowers are saying that senior officials of the Biden administration have ordered the Bureau not to investigate Hunter Biden. Now, if that's true, that shows a, a, a breach of um, separation of powers. And in reality, I think whether you go back to the Trump administration, the Obama administration, Bush, whatever, is now we're seeing an unhealthy relationship between the executive 
legislative, the, the, the three different type of branches of governments of showing that, look, there is no separation. There is no independence that they claim. And we have to ask ourselves is, okay, if this is going on within the government. Where might this be going on in the church? Is are we fully walking out our biblical mandate to spread the gospel of the kingdom and and we look at the five found that i highlight this and i want to continue to highlight this because if we look at where the church at large and the church throughout history has stood on some of these issues is when they stand when the church stands with these issues you have a revival i'm starting to get back into studying church history and, and robert heidler points out he's like look when you have the church actually reading scripture actually living and walking out the foundations that Jesus gave them before he left and, and that's there in scripture and in text. You have revival. You have supernatural healings. You have celebrations like you see in Exodus 15 amongst the people, dancing, singing, praising the Lord for being their provider, for being their healer. And, and we have to ask ourselves is where in the church have we gotten off? And number one, repent for it. But pray, pray and intercede that future leaders and current leaders be humble, repent, and turn back toward the heart of the Father, to having a fear of the Lord, to being obedient, as we see here, to the statutes and ordinances that the Lord has, has shown and told and made promises and covenants. That if you do these things, He will protect you, He will be your provider, He will be your healer. And, and, and it's a it's a time to deal with our grumbling heart in this season as we're preparing for this revival, dealing with these issues. As John talked about yesterday, if you didn't, uh, I would highly suggest to go back. And he talked about, he's like, look, the Bible and the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit is meant to be transformational for people who are in depression, um, just to have a misunderstanding of what can help them get through whatever situation they're in, drugs, alcohol, etc. The list goes on and on. Is if we we don't believe that the scripture is transformational, then it's just inspirational. Some people may buy it, some people may not. It's fatalism. It's a host of problems that could be played out. And we're just sitting here waiting with our our eyes on the clock, waiting for Jesus to return. And that's not what Jesus told him himself. Occupy till I come. And so we have a, a mandate from the Lord to be a light, to be salt to the earth, to be in the world but not of it, and to spread the gospel of the kingdom to the nations and make disciples of the nations. So with that, I close as we continue to stand on the wall praying for the office of the president. We'll be back, we'll be back tomorrow to close out the week, and we'll be back giving up another update um, online only for Friday as well. So let's continue to pray and continue to pray that people become aware um, as the student loan situation is a false flag and false hope operation uh, that will most likely, with all intents and purposes, die within the court systems and just to persuade people to go vote for the midterms. So uh, blessings to each and every one of you. Let's continue to pray, continue to stand on the wall, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Hope you have a good one. Bye-bye.